Let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and for your truth, for your faithfulness. We call upon you uh, to be faithful, Father, and uh, provide travel mercies. Uh, and in particular, uh, keep Sharon alive with her allergies. And if she needs to move to a different part of the plane or the, the dog needs to move to a different part of the plane or go out the window or whatever needs to happen, Father, uh, be faithful. And I thank you. And I pray for this morning. Pray for the truth of your word. Thank you that I wasn't killed in the car crash yesterday. And um, there's, there's more Bible to be taught. So teach uh, your children what you would have them to be taught. And I thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Proverbs 15. And as we've been looking at it, we've got uh, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And we spent some time there, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Uh, I'm just going to run through the slideshow and follow what the screen tells me to do this morning since I don't have paper notes to work off of. Um, we talked about the distinctions, what sets chapter 15 apart from previous chapters. Had some subpoints there. In point two, how verse one preaches itself, we can respond one of two ways. Either we can fight fire with fire and just ramp it up. You know, someone's mad at us, so we get mad at them and we're just going at it. That, uh, that just fans the flames, okay? And the Bible says that's, that's not good, okay? The Bible says that the gentle answer turns away wrath. It deflects it. It turns it away. Because you don't want to receive it. You don't want to be on the receiving end of that wrath. You do want to deflect it so that it bounces off harmlessly to the left or to the right. And then you can return a blessing. You can return a blessing, not a cursing, as, uh, as far as that goes. Uh, we looked in verse 2, quite profound, to talk about making knowledge beautiful. How it is that the tongue of the wise makes knowledge beautiful. And you're beautifying something that's already beautiful. You know, you've got a beautiful daughter and then she gets a beautiful haircut and now she's even more beautiful related to that. And uh, that's what happens with the Word of God. The Word of God is already beautiful. It's intrinsically beautiful. It's eternal. It's powerful. It's glorious. But when it's taught with wisdom, it then is beautified. And that's the, uh, the aspect there. And when it is beautified, it becomes a goad. It's a goad to action, to be thoughtfully responded to. It has a consequential appreciation. Something that is beautiful, something that smells nice, that tastes nice, that feels nice. These are stimuli. They are designed to provoke a response. And there is an appreciation for beautiful things, which is why it just boggles my mind entirely that the Miss America pageant will no longer use physical attributes as a criteria. That they're, they're removing all physical beauty attributes from the Miss America beauty pageant. I just don't understand how it's like holding a spelling bee and saying that spelling doesn't count. You know, what, then what, what are we doing? So in any event, Something that is beauty, something that is beautified, is designed to be appreciated. And that's true for sight, sound, smell, taste, all the senses. That's true also for the mind, by the way. That's true for the soul. And uh, the way God has designed us to appreciate. And I think appreciation is uh, underappreciated. We need to learn what it means to... Because it's a sense of fellowship with God. What did God do? At the end of each day, he stopped and he looked around and he saw that it was good. God took the time day by day by day to stop and be impressed with himself. To stop and say, wow, I do good, right? And uh, that's what God does, see. 
Anyway, we need to do, we need to share in that fellowship. Fellowshipping with the Father, fellowshipping with the Son, and fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, stopping and appreciating what God is doing. And that's what it's about there. All right. Living in the Word of God is essential given His constant observation over us. And this is the reality in verse 3 and in verse 11. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Verse 11 says, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men. And so wherever we go, God's there. He's watching. He sees us. He sees what we do. He sees our heart. He knows why we do it. And uh, all the aspects there. Did you find that Tim Duncan song I recommended? I cannot hide from God. You found it? Did you like it? Wasn't that cool? All right. Now, you know, I want, I want Jacob to sing that on a Sunday morning and see if we can uh, get Molly to, to play that. I just got to find the piano music. All right. And so uh, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. The fourth and final tree of life reference in Proverbs is contrasted with a crushed spirit. And I think we're going to have more on crushed spirit coming up. Um, it is used here. It is used in Isaiah. I'm not sure... Um, because there's crushed spirit, there's also broken spirit, there's also broken heart. And uh, there's different idioms that the Hebrew Old Testament uses. And at some point, I think we'll want to stop and, and do a, a more thorough development on that. But as we see it here in verse uh, 4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. And so we need to realize that we are the instruments of either the soothing or the crushing. That it's what we do, what we say, how we uh, interact with others. And uh, we should be, obviously with our church family, interacting in such a way that we are uh, soothing, that we are a tree of life to one another. We don't want to be in the, uh, in the crushing business with any kind of perversion. Perversion of thinking, perversion of speaking, perversion of action, any kind of perversion we want, uh, we want no part of. All right. And that gets us then to the reminders that uh, even though you've grown up, the things your, your father said back in the day are still true. <laughs> and that's verse 5. A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. And so we have a reminder here, even though we're no longer in the parental wisdom section of the book, even though we're, we're past that, we're now in chapters 10 through 25 where we're really dealing with personal and public wisdom. We're talking about the wisdom that, that any adult believer is going to have to live by as they stand before the Lord. Parental discipline continues to be effective again and again and again in adult life. Parental discipline continues to be effective again and again and again in adult life. And uh, the reason why I tripled up that again and again and again is because it comes up three times after chapter 9. It comes up in chapter 12, twice in chapter 13, and in chapter 15. All right, so three separate chapters uh, after chapter 9 have references to the parental wisdom, the parental discipline that you should have listened to back in the day. And just because you're a grown man now, and just because uh, you don't have to do what your dad tells you to do anymore, uh, you still ought to be walking with the wisdom that he instilled upon you, if that was the, in fact, you had the blessing of that in your childhood, then uh, that does continue. So a fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is uh, sensible. 
That sensibility has the practical application to it in what we're doing on a daily basis. And so uh, let's just look at these and remind ourselves. We've already covered chapter 12 and chapter 13, and here we are in chapter 15, and it just keeps coming up again, doesn't it? <coughs> Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid, all right? So here's more name calling in the Bible. This is uh, not you know, Sharon hates name calling and we always discipline our children for that. You know, you don't call your sister uh, and, you know, and she doesn't call you and they have different things. All right. But we, we, we drill that out of them. We say it's not acceptable. It's not appropriate for any siblings, even if you're, you know, even if you were not saved and <laughs> no siblings should be treating one another that way. Much less, of course, born again believers in Jesus Christ that are being taught the word of God. So we should treat one another uh, without the name calling. And so we made that kind of a main point of emphasis as our kids were younger and through their grade school and high school years. Um, And then, but time and time again, we find Bible passages where God himself does a fair amount of name calling, uh, where he calls somebody Sodom or Gomorrah, he calls somebody uh, a fool or a rebel, and uh, things like that. Here he calls the person stupid. If you hate reproof, you're stupid. Okay? And that's just what it is. And uh, it's, it's, it's blunt, and it, it's, it's supposed to be blunt. It's supposed to get, get your attention by being as blunt the way that it is. So if you love discipline, you love knowledge. And they go hand in hand. If, if you want to just have some academic information and have some knowledge, uh, well, it's going to come with discipline. That's how the Father designed it. We're going to learn, uh, we're going to learn in Bible class, but then we're going to learn experientially. We're going to learn through our testing. We're going to learn through our parental discipline. Because God Himself is the Father who disciplines us. He disciplines us because He loves us. And we learn through that discipline, that child-raising discipline. And so we should love that. And uh, we don't want to, uh, to hate the reproof. Okay? And, uh, and aspects there. So, I've, I've, in fact, I think it's interesting in the, the discussions I've had with, I think it's a mark of humility on the part of the flock, but um, the, the newsletter had a bit of a, of a reproof in there, a bit of a rebuke in there. They said, we want to focus more on our reverence, we want to focus more on our classroom discipline and not being a distraction to, to fellow brothers and sisters when we're seated for, for, uh, for Bible class. And, and I've gotten a lot of feedback from a variety of folks uh, in, in person and on email, and, uh, and, and it's been curious to me. And... and um, the uh, no one's you know shaking their fist all mad and stomped out and or if they did I don't know about it um, but they uh, the one negative response I got was uh, instead of a, a newsletter I should have just yelled at everybody from the pulpit and just been verbal with it and just yelled at everybody and said that the newsletter was kind of a weak way to do that <laughs> okay well maybe next time I'll yell at everybody how about that but uh, I think the newsletter. Um, the point was made, though, and it was a reproof in a, in, a, in, a, in a large measure. And it's a mark of wisdom to not hate that reproof, but to then stop and say, wow, you know what? I think I've been a problem from time to time. I think maybe I need to re-examine myself. What am I doing when I go to church? What am I doing as I approach, you know, I'm not going to have to take my shoes off. I'm not approaching holy ground, so to speak. But I am in the presence of God. He is speaking to me, and I don't deserve this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the reverence that says, 
uh, that, that He is the Creator God of the universe that redeemed me and has something to teach me this morning, I want to um, receive it humbly. So uh, that is uh, all of that is to illustrate he who re- hates reproof is stupid and uh, we don't want to be that. Chapter 13 and verse 1, a wise son accepts his father's discipline but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And uh, so here we have it again, similar concept. You have to accept it, you have to receive it, you have to listen to it. And even though you're an adult, and even though we're past the parental wisdom portion of the book, there still is the past messages we were trained by, the past examples that were sent, the past uh, advice that's, and maybe even present advice that's still being given. Um, Appreciated or not, it's still being given. And so what is our uh, you know, when we find uh, honor your father and mother, and we, we search the Hebrew on that very carefully, we're not finding an expiration date on that. We're not finding that uh, that, uh, that that ever does expire. And so it continues to be effective again and again and again. Verse 18 of this chapter. Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline, but he who regards reproof will be honored. And this, I think, carries it an additional step. And I don't remember how we developed it back in chapter 13. You may find that in your notes. But I think what's, what's interesting is if you have sufficient amount of parental discipline, external discipline, if you have sufficient amount of, of the enforced humility that's being pressed upon you, uh, the long-term effect of that is that you begin yourself to internalize it. You begin yourself to develop your own personal discipline, your own personal self-discipline. And so if you, if you have that self-discipline yourself where you don't need, you know, you don't need mom coming in and pulling the blankets off of you in the morning and open, and, you know, opening up the window and turning on the fan and getting you all cold or, uh, or dad throwing a cat at you. That was another routine. The, uh, the attack cat maneuver with uh, one in each hand and flinging them across the room so that Matt and I would roll out of bed and hit the floor. Uh, Eventually, if there is sufficient external discipline applied to you, then you can develop a personal discipline. And and so uh, I think those who fail to do that, clearly poverty and shame are going to await them. People without personal discipline can't keep a job. People without personal discipline can't show up to work on time. Without personal discipline, you forget to pay a certain bill or things of that nature. Without personal discipline, uh, you, you face all kinds of consequences with respect to that. All right, now a couple of subpoints under this. Back to chapter 15 then, 15.5. A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. The, the, the verb here to regard, the verb here to, is, is, is the verb to defend, to guard, to keep. It's actually the very same word I told you about last week. I said, keep this term in mind when we were looking at the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Uh, the idiom is guarding reproof, keeping reproof, tending reproof, um, or is translated in this sense, um, regarding. Regarding. He who regards reproof is sensible. And uh, so what does it even mean to regard? Isn't the word guard embedded within regard? I don't know. <laughs> it makes sense. But the verb, shamer, by the way, is the verb, S-H-A-M-A-R, shamer, which means to, to keep, to tend, 
Uh, sometimes it's rendered tend in a garden, but really it's to guard and to defend. To guard and to defend. And it's the same, it's the, uh, the idiom here in keeping reproof, it's in a similar way that Adam's command was given to guard the Garden of Eden. And so we have uh, shamer as the verb. And, uh, and so to guard a reproof becomes an interesting idea. That, uh, that I, I, need to, I need to own it. I need to accept it. I need to embrace it because that's a reproof. Somebody loved me enough to rebuke me. And they loved me enough to apply some discipline. I need to own that. I grab hold of that. That's mine. Okay? I may not like it. And it may not be nice or it may not uh, seem nice or it may not, uh, no discipline at the moment seems enjoyable or pleasant. But afterward, when you've been trained by it, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness, we're told. And so when you receive the reproof, own it, embrace it, guard it, guard it. Okay? And so that then becomes a, an interesting idiom, I think, as well. So Genesis 2.15, if uh, we can return back, we looked at this last week when we were considering the tree of life uh, metaphor. Genesis 2.15. And remember, this is the so foundational in Genesis 2 because you've got land rights, you've got water rights, you've got boundaries, you've got mineral wealth, you've got natural resources, you've got blessings of God who, who designs these things. And uh, so many aspects of what we can take out of Genesis here. But the... Um, so I won't go back and all. We did that last week. I don't have to do that again. But verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And remember, this is not the whole world. This is just one particular garden that God planted. It says, towards the east, planted in Eden, we're told. That's verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. So it's toward the east in Eden. That's its orientation. It's eastward facing and the area is called Eden. And within that territory, it's got you know river boundaries and that, but in that territory he planted a garden. And the garden is, the, is different from the rest of the planet, different from the rest of the world. Cultivated land is different from wild land. Okay? And so uh, then the Lord God took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and shamer to keep it. Okay? So cultivation is one aspect, keeping or guarding is another aspect. And so fundamentally then when I get to chapter 3 and there's a serpent there, I'm like, what's he doing there? Were you not told to guard this place? You let this guy in? What's he doing here? Why are you letting your wife listen to this snake? Okay? And, uh, and aspects there. So, you know, um, Sin of omission? Would we call that a sin of omission? I'd call it a sin of omission. Okay? But remember, the only sin with a consequence is eating the fruit from the tree of life. So he doesn't have his eyes open, he's not, a, he's not spiritually dead, he's not a sinner until he eats from that fruit of the tree of life. But we could classify this as a sin of omission with respect to not guarding the garden. And, uh, and then, how about be fruitful and multiply? Did they obey that command? 
There was no multiplication until they were sinners. As far as the text reveals it. All right. They don't have relations till 4 1. That's what that says. All right. So to cultivate it, to keep it, to guard it. And now in Proverbs, we're told to guard reproof. To guard reproof. So let's look at Proverbs 10 17. And we'll see the other things that we're guarding here. But Let's see, verse... Uh, hmm. I almost want to read the whole thing. This is the opening chapter to personal and public wisdom. And you'll notice uh, the rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding in verse 13. Wise men store up knowledge in verse 14. Um, all right, verse 17. He is on the path of life who heeds instruction or guards, but he who ignores reproof goes astray. The uh, kind of the antithesis or the bane or the, the, um, the, uh, uh, the fatal flaw in, in any guarding uh, responsibility is falling asleep, right? Being asleep on duty, ignoring, pulling the, pulling the Sergeant Schultz routine, <laughs> doing the I see nothing, right? And uh, even though it's, it's happening right there in front of you, nope, oh, didn't see that, didn't see that, okay? And so are you going to ignore the reproof? You're supposed to be guarding it. You're supposed to be, and it's rendered heeds there, heeds instruction, but are you guarding it? Are you mindful of what it is God's giving you? Do you realize what a treasure this is? What a blessing this is? We have a lampstand where the Word of God goes forth. There's a lot of places. They're, they're desperate for pastors right now. I'm, I'm thinking Lewis and Bill are going to have their pick of a dozen places or more when, uh, when that day comes. Because there are so many empty pulpits right now just desperate for Bible teachers. Anyway, so heed it. Guard it. Don't uh, ignore it. Chapter 13 and verse... 18. We were just there a moment ago, weren't we? Guarding reproof. Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline, but he who regards reproof will be honored. So you can ignore it, you can neglect it, or you can guard it. And we're commanded to guard it. And then of course 15.5 is, is our passage today. <coughs> Keeping reproof is a subset of keeping the larger concept of the way of the Lord or the larger concept of the commandments of the Lord. So it's a subset. And it's curious to me. Some people, they like doctrine. They like the Bible, except for those convicting reproof parts. <laughs> All right. Well, it's not, it's not uh, the, you know, the Bible is not Golden Corral. We don't just get to pick and choose the, the stuff we like and, and pass by the stuff we don't want to eat. All right? We got the whole Bible, the whole counsel of the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation. And that includes the reproofs. That includes the, the corrective passages. That includes the Word of God that convicts us. And so uh, keeping reproof or guarding reproof, that's a subset of a larger concept of uh, keeping or guarding the way of the Lord. Keeping or guarding the commandments of the Lord. And uh, and this, not only is it an individual thing, I like the, the, the first verse I picked for this, uh, it deals with families. 
it deals with Abraham and, and commanding his children after him in Genesis 18, 19. So let's take a look at that. Genesis 18, 19. And how much of this chapter do we want to read this morning? All right. Um, what's happening here is uh, the Lord and a couple of angels are on their way to Sodom and they are going to destroy the place. And uh, along the way, they pass by Abraham's place. And in the early part of the chapter, Abraham sees them, invites them in, and and uh, wants Sarah to get dinner ready, and this is where Sarah laughs, and uh, the things that happen there. All right, I guess we don't need to read any of that. We get down to verse 17, and this this one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Okay, who's he talking to? <laughs> Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, right? So if you think about God and his talking to him, do you ever talk to yourself? When you think about God and he said, let us make man in our image, right? He didn't say, shall I make man in my own image? No, he just said, let us make man in our own image. But here he says, shall I... Hide from Abraham what I'm about to do. Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And it's curious to me how he asks this question and then he proceeds forward answering it himself. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him. Now this is so much, I mean this it's bigger than the Abrahamic covenant, okay? The Abrahamic covenant is included, but I think it's bigger than that. I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. That's guard, that's shamer. And how is this going to happen? By doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. All right, so now there's, of course, big issues involved and, and a wide uh, picture involved with respect to the Abrahamic covenant, how it's given in chapter 12 and chapter 14 and chapter 15 and all the rest. But right here, this one little focus centers on a family. It centers on Abraham and his children. It centers on training up the next generation and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord to keep the way of the Lord, it says here by doing righteousness and justice. And I like that. I like that a lot. So uh, we're going to keep the way of the Lord. We're going to keep the commandments of the Lord. We're going to keep the reproof of the Lord. Uh, what, it, what it is that He reveals to us through His Word, we're accountable for it. The secret things belong to God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. All right, so that's our reference in Genesis. We go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 
Deuteronomy 4, now O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform. Okay? It doesn't say, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to know. (laughs) All right? I'm teaching you to perform. We're not just hearers only that delude ourselves. We've got to be doers of the Word of God. It's sad if you're just a hearer and not a doer. He's teaching you to perform so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Now he's talking to living people, but he says they need to live. And if they're going to be performing the Word of God, if they're going to be walking the Christian way of life, as we call it, or the the commandments of the Lord, as it says here, um, if you are performing what God is teaching, then you're really living. That's really living. And I think we have too many, uh, you know, dead men walking that Ephesians 2 talks about, the uh, walking in your trespasses and sins. Verse 2, you shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor shall you take away from it. Either one is wrong. Either one is you choosing to be God's editor because you don't like what he wrote. You want to add something to it or you want to take something away from it or you got to tweak it somehow. You got to have some kind of change. We're not free to do that. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to obey what it is that he gives us in his word. So you shall not add to the word which I'm commanding you nor take away from it that you may keep, this is again, shamer, to guard that you may guard the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. This is an expectation for every believer. This is why it's sad that we have such indifference to doctrine in our our generation. And it's probably been the case the whole time, I don't know. Um, We're we're probably worse than any other group, I, I would think. Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Baal Peor. For all the men who followed Baal Peor, the Lord your God, has destroyed them from among you. Remember that story? That's when Eliezer fixed it with a, with a spear, right? He stopped the fornication right there in the act. One spear stroke through the two of them, put an end to it. And they were done fornicating and God's uh, curse was done on the Jewish people. Anyway, Numbers 25 if you want to read it. The... Um, but you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. You want to keep living? Live according to the Word of God. That's what it's about. So, um, so that, uh, again, that's the imperative in verse 2. <clears throat> that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. Okay? He's got a plan. You've got a plan for your life. you just got to live it according to the Word of God. It's as simple as that. All right? Chapter 6 and verse 17. <clears throat> All right. Context here. Uh, backing up just slightly. This is the chapter that has the great uh, statement from verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And we discussed this not, not long ago, last week sometime. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. 
We were talking about how repetition is not a problem, it's a protection. Remember that in Philippians? Paul says, I can say the same thing over and over again, it's not a problem for me, and it's a safeguard for you. And this is one of the verses that we looked at that. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. That's again and again and again and again. All right, and then um, when you do get into your land, in verse 10, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full, uh, full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, <coughs> vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. All right. Uh, Verse 15, The Lord your God is a jealous God. Otherwise the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you and He will wipe you off the face of the earth. You say, well, wait a minute. (laughs) God's going to be angry with me? I'm His chosen people. He brought me out of Egypt, brought me through the Red Sea. He's bringing me into this land. Yes. All of that. So walk according to His Word. Because the Lord your God is a jealous God. You will not follow the gods of the peoples around you. The the gods of the peoples who surround you there in verse 14 is a jealous God. You will provoke His wrath. Verse 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as when you tested Him at Massah. You should diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He has commanded you. And so there is Again, guarding, and it's diligently guarding. Commandments, testimonies, statutes. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that, it may, that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And so the land is eternally theirs. But there were many, many times in Old Testament history that they were not permitted to enjoy the land that was eternally theirs. And that's the issue there too. All right. Um, all right, so that's enough on that. How about chapter 8? And verse 6. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, All the commandments that I am commanding you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Okay, So they're going to do it. Their children are going to do it. It's designed for each coming generation to be living the Word of God. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. The fragrance of memory, the blessings to look back, that's a blessing. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. I mean, think about it. Our Lord quoted this in His temptations. This is powerful. 
And this is why, you know, in Matthew it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Quit putting the second things first. Keep the first things first. Second things can stay second. God, God's not stupid. He knows you need them. And, uh, and perhaps He's testing you in such a way so that when He does provide in such a way that nothing you ever heard of before, but wow, there it is. Okay? Say, thank you, Lord, and, uh, and accept it. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Can you imagine? Walking through the wilderness with the same pair of shoes for 40 years. I can't imagine. I mean, I was in the desert for six months. I think I went through, I don't know, four pairs of boots, five pairs of boots. I mean, you just go through them. Not, not Israel. Not in the wilderness. For 40 years, the, the clothing did not wear out. They didn't even, their feet didn't swell. No blisters. Can you imagine? Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you as a man disciplines his son. And be thankful for that. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. This is nothing to be afraid of. This is nothing to to rebel against or be mad at. Thank God for it. And if you're upset because somebody else and their father doesn't discipline them the way your father disciplines you, well, oh well, be thankful for the father you have because he loves you and he disciplines you. And uh, that other father is going to answer for what he's doing. (laughs) Okay? And is it right? Is it fair? No, probably not. But guess what? Life's not right. Life's not fair. So get over it. God, uh, you know, God gave you to me and so I'm doing what I'm doing. <laughs> and there you go. All right. And uh, yeah. The, uh, I think the rest of this yeah, I think we can let the rest of that go. How about chapter 10? All right, so here's uh, Moses now reviewing. Remember, by the time you get to Deuteronomy, this is the second giving of the law. Deutero means second, namas is law. It's the second giving of the law. The, the Exodus generation is dead and gone. It's their children now that Moses is reviewing the law for a second time, getting them ready to go into uh, to the land. And so um, Moses is now recounting the fact that he's got to make a second set of tablets because he smashed the first set. And... Um, that he has to go back up on the mountain for another 40 days, just like the first time, and, uh, and relate that, okay? So, when I get down to verse 10 then, Moses speaking, I moreover stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, like the first time, and the Lord listened to me that time also, and the Lord was not willing to destroy you. So he's he's telling this story and relating it to the children of the people that were rebelling the first time he was up on the mountain for 40 days. And then now the children have to hear this. Okay? You say, well, just because I've gone through my discipline, do I have to share it with everybody? (laughs) Can't that just be between me and the Lord? Why do they need to know this? That's embarrassing. Yes, it is. But it's also instructive. And so here we see it. So the Lord said to me, Arise, proceed on your journey ahead of the people that they may go and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. 
Now, Israel, what does the Lord require from you? (laughs) Okay? Do you want to go through what I went through? Do you want the the do-over in God's grace? What does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, and to keep or to guard the Lord's commandments and His statutes, which I am commanding you today, for your good. Don't grumble about the boundaries. Thank God you've got the boundaries. Rejoice in the boundaries. Satan's the one that wants to redefine everything or deny that there's any kind of boundaries or say, oh, that's old-fashioned, or oh, do, just do what you want to do. Satan tells people that, but he's wrong. The boundaries are there for our protection. They're there for our blessing. So thank him for the boundaries. And uh, walk, uh, fear the Lord your God. Walk in all his ways. Love him. Serve the Lord. And that idea of service there is what we're studying in the book of Hebrews. That's our priestly service. That's our spiritual service of worship. With all your heart, with all your soul. Okay? I'm hoping that this catches on. I'm hoping that this flock, that, that the, the sense I'm getting from, from studying Hebrews, I, I hope it comes across. And I hope that we all start thinking about what we're doing as a priestly ministry. If we're teaching Sunday school, that's a priestly ministry. If we're changing diapers, that's a priestly ministry. If we're dumping trash cans, it's a priestly ministry. Whatever it is we're doing is a priestly ministry. Start thinking of it in those terms. And uh, maybe it helps to drive away the other stuff. <laughs> the, 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 the humanity that gets in the way where we start to, you know, we start to ask the dumb question like, well, what have they done for me lately? Okay? Stupid question. Get rid of that. You're serving the Lord. You're serving the Lord. And if they don't deserve it, great. You're serving the Lord and you're exhibiting grace, even better. Anyway, so stay tuned for that because there's so much of that coming up in Hebrews 5 through 10, how we serve the Lord in in these ways. All right. So uh, keep, uh, again, verse 13, to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet... On your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them. That's impressive. (laughs) He's got a whole universe to choose from, but he picked you. And so uh, your fathers to love them. And he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples as it is this day. Why did he do that? Because he earned it? Because he deserved it? Because he looked down and said he just couldn't help himself? Oh, i got to save those people. They're just so great. No. I think he picked the Jewish people because there were no other more obstinate, stiff-necked, rebellious people that he could have picked. So he says, circumcise your heart and stiffen your, de- your neck no longer. We'll have that coming up in uh, Philippians, by the way, because we are the true circumcision that uh, Paul's dealing with there in Philippians chapter 3. All right, so uh, I think we can let the rest of that go as well. Verse 17 says, The Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. So all the things you like to do to bail yourself out of your problems, God's not going to work with God. 
You've got to fear the Lord your God. In verse 20, you shall serve Him and cling to Him and you shall swear by His name. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. All right. And then finally, uh, to the end of the book, chapter 28. Chapter 28 and verse 9. Oh, yes. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 9. Okay. Remember, as they were going into the land, they lined up on two mountains. Mount Gerizim is the mountain of blessing. Mount Ebal is the mount of cursings. Okay? And they lined up six tribes over here, six tribes over here, and they repeated the blessings and the cursings, which was the, the, the Mosaic Covenant. Conditional covenant. If they obey the Lord, they have these blessings coming to them. If they defy the Lord, they have these cursings coming to them. And so from their own mouth, they're reciting these things. They've got no excuse. They accepted this conditional covenant. And so you got all the cursings in chapter 27, and now we have all the blessings in chapter 28. And um, Just take it from verse 1 down to verse 9. It shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the offspring of your beasts and the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. And that's a promise in the Old Testament. It's going to be multiplied in the millennium. They're going to have a harvest of the millennium. It's going to make anything that, that uh, preceded the millennium seem like nothing. All right? How much food can this planet support anyway? How many people can live on this planet? We don't know. We have no idea how much food this planet can support. Or the, the new planet when we uh, arrive in the new heavens and on the new earth? How big is that new earth going to be? How much food can that planet support? We don't know. How many people will be on this planet after a thousand generations? We don't know. But God does. He's in charge of all of that. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. There's blessings when you're away at work and there's blessings when you come home. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. And they're going to have enemies. Throughout the whole millennial kingdom, they're going to have enemies. They will come out against you one way and will flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to. He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to Himself as He swore to you. Now here it is, if, if, okay? That's a big if. And for most of the Old Testament, that was an if that they did not fulfill. The bulk of their time, I suspect, um, they were carnal more than they were not. They They were walking according to the wrong example more than they were walking in the right example. But guess what happens in the millennium? 
They're going to. In the millennium He's going to write His law upon their heart. In the millennium they're going to live it out. In the millennium, at the end, there's going to be a monster rebellion surrounding them, but Israel stays faithful. That's that's incredible to me. So the Lord will establish you as a holy people to Himself as He swore to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in His ways. So all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will be afraid of you. You know, he who sits in the heavens laughs, we're told in Psalm 2. When it comes time to destroy that rebellion, it's the fire that comes down from heaven. The Father himself destroys the Gog Magog rebellion and delivers his son. Uh, If you want to read through that in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 20. All right. And as far as the rest of that goes, um, 11 through 14. And then more curses after that. All right. So I thought the curses were done in chapter 27. Well, always good to remind yourself. So parental discipline continues to be effective again and again and again in adult life. Next week we're going to come back and let me show you where we're going next week. I'm pretty sure that's my last slide. Yep, that's my last slide. All right. Chapter 13 then, when we come back, we'll be talking about wealth. We'll be talking about um, distinctions that can be found here. Uh, Great wealth is in the house of the righteous, but trouble is the income of the wicked. (coughs) Do we understand that there's a difference (coughs) between wealth and income? And you can have a tremendous income and no wealth. That's right. No wealth whatsoever. You can have a very meager income and have tremendous wealth based upon what you're doing with the income and, and the means with which you're living under or not. And uh, the context there. So we'll deal with this. The Bible's got a lot to say about biblical economics and that verse we'll, t- we'll touch on that. And then uh, other things all coming up. I'm losing my voice, so I'm going to close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for this day, for your faithfulness, for your mercy, love, and grace. We give you the praise and glory for all that you do, all that you continue to do. Thank you again for uh, yesterday's traffic wreck and uh, whatever else you want to do with that. If the car drives again, I I suspect it will, but that's in your hands too. Whatever else you want to do with it, we, we praise you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.